would just also love to see more people on bikes in general. I just see the the joy and the you know happiness and kind of wholesomeness that riding a bike brings to to my life and the, just the connections I've made with people and the conversations I've had. Hello and welcome to Chasing the Peloton. I'm your host Peter, and this is episode seven of our series, Meet the Migration Gravel Racers. My guest today is none other than Ian Boswell, the former World Tour racer, who now, alongside Wahoo and a number of other partners, is forging his own less tarmacked path in the world of cycling. The fact that the Migration Gravel Race has attracted the attention of riders like Ian, along with the support of Wahoo, is testament to the ambition of Team Armani and what they hope to achieve with the race. As Ian says in our conversation, the pathway for African riders to make it as a cyclist is often harder, but hopefully with initiatives like this, we can start breaking down some of those barriers. And as Ian says, he cannot wait to race in Kenya come June, as well as sharing some of his knowledge and learning from the guys and girls who'll be lining up alongside. As it has been with all of my guests, and I encourage you to go back and listen to previous episodes, there are six of them already on the Chasing the Peloton feed, it was a real pleasure to speak with Ian and for him to share some of his cycling story with me. This race is shaping up to be not just competitive and exciting, but also wide-ranging in terms of the experience and background of all of the riders. If you don't already, please subscribe to this podcast and also go and find us on Instagram at Chasing the Peloton. And so without further ado... I bring you my conversation with Ian Boswell. Perhaps if you could set the scene for us, whereabouts are you? Yes, I'm in uh, northern Vermont. It's uh, cold and blustery. It's actually spitting snow this morning, oh, which uh, it's almost, yeah, uh, late spring, I guess. It was it was warm over the weekend, but yeah, um, yeah, at home and watching my puppy now <laughs> sleep and yeah, debating whether to, to start the wood stove up because it's uh it's cold this morning okay. but haven't haven't lit it yet trying to uh yeah trying to convince myself that summer's on the way which doesn't entail lighting the wood stove right and you've been camping this weekend as well right how was that i have yeah it was my my wife's birthday so we um yeah thankfully things in vermont are kind of improving as far as covid and you know most of our friends now have been been vaccinated as well as my wife and i so yeah first time um camping with a you know a small group of people since goodness I guess it had been the summer of, of 2019 mm. so yeah it was uh it was fun you know it's, it's funny how the world's changed that you know we brought all these you know kind of games and frisbees and things you know for people to you know things we would normally do camping yeah. with with folks but um we we didn't do any of that just because people were so happy to just talk, to talk with to each in other 3d yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. so you've already had quite a career on on two wheels all of which is is pretty well documented but i'm curious to know how it all started out for you and do you remember the point at which you realized that you you wanted to make it into a career actually probably yeah so i you know i grew up in on the west coast of the us in, in bend oregon and mm. both my parents were involved in kind of active and endurance sports um you know you have to think back when i was riding we didn't have strider bikes so people learned how to ride bikes much later than than they do now you know i see yeah. kids now two three years old like zooming around on strider bikes and i yeah. learned on training wheels and you're riding sideways and um so it wasn't until it's was probably seven or eight that i learned how to actually ride a bike without training wheels and yeah quickly kind of picked up racing bmx there was a local track and i would race bmx you know most weekends throughout the summer when i was i guess nine ten 
Um, and that was awesome because I, you know, picked up a trophy. I think they gave trophies out to everyone every weekend. So I had a, a box of trophies at home right. and then we would kind of use those for, for neighborhood races and, you know, allow, you know, our neighbors to race us and, you know, hand out trophies. Um, but probably when I turned, uh, must've been 12, there was a local professional race in town and there was a kid's criterion. Mm. Um, I was finally able to fit on my mom's road bike and, um, yeah, I, I won that race. And, and from then I was like hooked, you know, I, I just loved, you know, racing. And I thought, you know, seeing the pro riders was so cool, you know, with all their, their kit and the, mm. you know, just the, the whole environment around these races, um, you know, just really kind of captivated my imagination. And, you know, thankfully my, my parents knew enough about, you know, endurance sports and I guess, you know, professional cycling to, you know, actually, you know, turn the Tour de France on in, in the summertime. Um, but beyond the racing side, it was, you know, very much a family endeavor, you know, right. even just, you know, going mountain biking mm. and, you know, we were very fortunate to be brought up in a, in a community and area where, you know, trails were available and, you know, the roads were, were, you know, nice enough to, to go out and ride, you know, whether it was after school or in the summertime. So, yeah. And I really just found, you know, at that age, especially when you think you're, you know, 11, 12, 13, you all of a sudden you want to kind of, you know, explore and be, and be more independent. So, the bike allowed me to, you know, get away from my house and explore and, and meet kids around the, the neighborhood on mm. bikes. All of a sudden I could start riding my bike to school and, you yeah. know, you're going down and picking up a piece of pizza or an ice cream. And, you know, it became my, my mode of transport. And I know, you know, not everyone kind of sees bikes as, as transport, you know, especially myself throughout my, my life, I've seen bikes as, you know, a tool and a job and it's something you race on, but yeah, I mean, a lot of it really just started off with the ability to have freedom to to go where I wanted when I wanted. And, you know, also you start to discover all these like cool little paths and networks of roads mm. that you otherwise wouldn't drive on. Um, and a bike is oftentimes the the most fun way to to get around, you know, an urban or a, you know, kind of rural area. Yeah, the sweet spot between getting somewhere in a good amount of time, but but also feeling like you're you're experiencing the journey. Um, as you go and you can you can get into to hidden areas a little bit better yeah yeah I mean I remember in middle school so I guess in the U.S. I was like maybe you know it's like sixth seventh eighth grade I'd ride my bike to school every day and it was gradually uphill the whole way to school probably like five or six miles yeah but coming back um, there was a series of like sidewalks that weren't quite completed yet so there was like you know the little dip and then rise but then they would end so it was like a five mile like wasn't a jump track but like every mm. quarter mile there was like this huge jump and I would just you know have the most fun coming home from school on a little um, single speed kind of bike my dad and I had built up and just, you know, bomb home from school and just hit these jumps back to back. And it was so much fun to just, you know, end the school day with, with freedom of, of zooming home and, and catching air. You're part of this, should we say, new breed of elite cyclists making, making a career away from the pro peloton and the world tour. What motivated you to do this? And what kind of what are the rewards you found of forging your own path and what are some of the challenges? Yeah, so, you know, I, I stopped racing at the end of 2019. I guess 2020 was the first season I was no longer a professional road racer. And, yeah. um, you know, I'd kind of seen the, the rise of, of gravel and kind of this alternative race calendar. Um, and it piqued my interest just in the fact that I saw that people were, you know, making a, a career out of this. And it was, mm. you know, there's the events that were, were new and different and, you know, I'd, I've been in road racing for, for so long. I kind of know the, you know, the script and the routine and, you know, the calendar, mm. um, you know, I also had a crash that kind of changed a lot of things for me personally. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, and, and I guess when I look at, you know, kind of the beginning of 2020 before, you know, 
things changed. I was, I was very much kind of still of this mindset, like, I'm, I'm going to go to these gravel events and I'm going to train and I'm going to race. Um, you know, we're sitting here 18 months or something beyond, mm. you know, when I, you know, officially started kind of becoming a, a gravel racer or, you know, alternative surface racer. Um, and I still haven't done any events. And I think the last 12 months had, in particular has really kind of shifted my perspective of, of what's happening and kind of where I'm at. Um, I still love to ride and I still love to go fast, but I think having that whole year of just, you know, not having any specific races to, to train for, which is, you know, for so long had kind of been my, my sole focus of life was, you know, getting ready for a specific event. And all of a sudden, you know, there were no events. And so I didn't necessarily have to ride or train. Um, but I think what I learned in, in that time was just how much I love riding my bike and, and right. really riding my bike with other people. And, you know, last summer I had so much fun just almost rediscovering riding my bike with friends, you know, exploring roads, not being on a specific training plan or doing, you know, intervals, like just trying to discover, you know, different roads. You know, when I was professional on the road, you know, it was very much like, all right, if I have four hours, I'm going to try to keep it as close to four hours as possible. Mm. But, you know, over the course of last summer, it was like, all right, I'm going to go out for this ride and like tell my wife, like, I'll be back anywhere from like three to six hours because yeah. I'm going to go ride roads that I've never been. And I don't know if these connect. And yeah, just the, the sense of, of, you know, kind of like being a kid again, where this adventure and freedom where, you know, you're going and getting lost and it doesn't, you're not really tracking or, or worrying about the, the performance side of it and kind of the benefits of, you know, I guess any performance, you know, improvements are just made through, through pleasure of being out there and riding and, yeah, right. you know, hopefully sharing that with, with other people. That's what I guess I love most is, you know, riding my bike with, with others. And I think that's, a, that's one of the things with these gravel events is that it's not like the pro tour where it's a fairly closed shop. Um, even, even the lower levels down in terms of the, not necessarily the hoops you've got to jump through, but you've got to be committed from, from day one or very early on when you're quite young, if that's, that's where you're going to get to. Whereas certainly these gravel events, are a lot more open to to people. Well, for example, like myself, the the migration gravel race, which we'll talk about um, shortly, being able to to take part and and race um, against guys like you, but also the races in the states where where anyone can turn up and and see how they fare. I think that's that's the beauty of these things. It just opens it up um, and demonstrates that it it is a sport for all and and everyone's welcome. Yeah, it really is. And like I said, I haven't been to many of the, the big events yeah. yet, hopefully, hopefully coming up, but I have done, you know, a, my fair share of, you know, whether it's kind of, you know, fondos or sportives where, you know, everyone is together. And, and I love that. And that's one of the beautiful facts of cycling is that in, in that regard, as far as, you know, the ability to participate and ride with, you know, people at the top of the sport, it is very inclusive in that sense. You know, obviously there are other areas where the sport needs to improve our, our inclusivity. Um, but the fact that, you know, you can, you can ride with, you know, the fastest people on the course and you all start at the same time, you know, that's something very unique to, to cycling. And I guess, you know, maybe marathon running is similar um, in the sense that you have, you know, the, the fast runners up front and then yeah. kind of the, you know, participants behind. But I think that's so cool that you, you know, and you kind of directly get to see the, the speed at which other people are, are moving at. And, yeah. you know, conversely, how much, how much you know, more work you've got to do to exactly. To to yeah. <laughs> Yeah. When, and I think, you know, especially kind of where we're at now globally, I think that, you know, shared experience is something that we all crave. And I think that's right. where, you know, events like this are, you know, so impactful to people because it really is a shared experience, whether, you know, you do a race in five hours or 10 hours, 
you know, you're all out there doing it together and there's a sense of, of connection and that we, you know, we all did this together and, you know, the speed and who won is, is great, but it's, it's at the same time, it's, I mean, it's almost irrelevant to, you know, kind of the, the larger community of, of cycling and people that are you yeah. know, involved. You get to the end of the day and you can go, oh, you remember that climb with that bit or that sketchy bit on that descent. It's kind of that, that shared experience. It doesn't matter how fast you were going on it. it was, everyone went through the same experience. Yeah. And, and, you know, you'd mentioned professional road racing, you know, people can, people can go ride Alpe d'Huez or they can go ride yeah. the Stelvio, but very few people can ride it in a closed course where, you know, it's, it's different for the pros as it would be for, you know, a, a recreational rider, but and you know, the roads aren't closed for a lot of these gravel events. Um, so it's the same for everyone. So it's like, you do have a direct comparison of, you know, what the people at the front are doing and what the people, you know, mid pack are doing. And I think that's, that's so cool. And I think people do love, you know, whether we like it or not, people do love comparing themselves. And that's, uh, you know, something yeah. we've, we've definitely seen over the last 12 months with, you know, people going for FKTs and just Strava times. And, you know, I think it's, it's cool to see more kind of events and platforms going to, you know, being more inclusive and one thing i've seen with with strava is this you know local legend mm, um yep. kind of you know feature which i think is great you know it allows people like hey like i don't have the fastest time but i ride this climb every single day and i think that's awesome mm. that you know the sport is is trying to find more ways to let people you know not focus so much on on speed and winning yeah and also um, a lot less on on let's say what's per kilo certainly with the gravel stuff it's okay if you if you have a blowout or you break a chain or something like that um what do you do but also technical handling of the bike it almost levels the playing field a little bit more if if you're not 60 kilograms and you can do six watts per kilo or whatever yeah again it's uh it's a new world to me you know i'm i'm still trying to figure out yeah. my equipment and you know i don't have team mechanics anymore and it's like you know, just last night I was, you know, pushing the pistons back on my brakes and putting the new brake pads and, you know, I've got the simple stuff dialed, but um, yeah, I have some, you know, I have some tire plugs and stuff. I've never used them, but right. I guess I'll, I'll figure out at some uh, point how to that's, put them that's in. What, that's one thing I've got on you in my, in my gravel experience. I've, I've, I've fitted a tire plug. It wasn't successful, but um, again, it's, it's all the old practice for, for when it, when it happens in the big event. Exactly. And what well, I was going to ask you that, and you've kind of alluded to it already. Last year was going to be your first big year for this transition to, to gravel events. And I was going to ask you how you managed to keep keep focus, but it sounds like rather than keeping focus, it's it's been more of a rediscovery and um, and a re kind of imagining of what cycling means to you and and what you can achieve with it. How how are you bringing that in? Like how how's that changed your thinking for for this year and what you're going to be doing this year? Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, and I still have a a desire and, you know, uh, you know, an interest in, in going fast and being competitive, but to be, you know, to be completely frank with you, um, you know, I, I race my bike at a high level for a long time. And, you know, I guess as part of that transition away from, from world tour racing, you know, I, I kind of laid a lot of that to bed in the sense like, Hey, you know what, I've raced my bike at the highest level. And that was, you know, personally, you know, that was a huge accomplishment and life goal for me to, you know, to, to race in the Tour de France and the Giro and the Vuelta and to be on the teams I was on, you know, that was really a childhood dream come true. Mm. Um, you know, and I'm still, you know, racing and riding because I love it, but I feel like there's a lot more to what I'm doing now and kind of where I'm at in my life personally than, than just winning, you know, in, in a way I have, you know, almost a, a degree in, in cycling and, you know, performance. And, and I love that. And I, you know, I love sharing that with people. Mm. Um, so yeah, I would, I would still love to, to be competitive, but I, 
you know, it's not the end all be all for me as a, as an athlete anymore to, you know, to go to these events and, you know, dominate or to, you know, guarantee I'm going to be on the podium at, at every single event. And, you know, that's one thing that, you know, I really have to, you know, admire about all the, the partners that I have on board as well is that, you know, they see the value of, you know, just bringing in more people to the sport. And, you know, as you said, it, it's awesome that at these events, you can have the the winner and the person who is going to finish dead last on the same start line at the same time. But, you know, it doesn't do much help to anyone if, you know, from the gun, the person at the front is just gone and you never see them again, mm. you know I mean? And then there's going to be races where, you know, of course you try to stay in the front and be in the front group, but as you said, maybe you have a blowout, maybe you break a chain and, you know, at that point, just kind of being able to switch mindsets and not stress and be, you know, frustrated and be like, Oh, I'm just going to drop out. Cause I'm not, I'm not going to win. Yeah. Um, you know, there's still, you know, 2000 people behind you that you can just cruise with and that all have an awesome story and we're all out there enjoying it together. So, you know, undoubtedly there'll be events this year where, you know, I'm competitive and there'll be events where, you know, something happens or it's just not, you know, I'm more than happy to, to ride with people. And, you know, I think that's one of the, again, the, the cool things about cycling is that, you know, there's such an easy opportunity to, to communicate with people. And as you probably well know, riding bikes with people is oftentimes the best way to have a conversation. Completely, completely. When you connect with, with someone that's also has a love for, for it, you're already on a good starting point. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, in, in many ways, cycling is kind of like this great equalizer. You know, you have people of, of all these different backgrounds and walks of lives and professions and, you know, you, you show up at an event or a group ride or, you know, a sportif or something, and everyone's kind of on the same page. Everyone is just there as, as a cyclist and trying to make it to the finish line, mm. whether it's fast or slow, it's like, you know, all these other things in life are almost irrelevant. You know, you can have a, you know, a kid beat someone who, you know, is very accomplished businessman or whatever it may be. And it's, you know, I think it's awesome that, you know, it just, it strips away a lot of this kind of social hierarchy that we, you know, kind of have in our society. It, it, it removes all that. And we're just out there riding bikes. And that's the, you know, that's the level that everyone's on. And I think that's, that's really awesome with when it comes to cycling, you know, I've you know, been fortunate enough in my life to, you know, ride with people from, you know, very kind of privileged areas of, of life and, you know, business. And, you know, I'm always amazed that they're asking me questions. I'm like, I think I should be asking you questions because I just ride my bike, but you know, you, you know, you've done some amazing things in your life. Um, but it's, you know, it, it is funny just to see how, you know, the bike and endurance sports kind of strip away these, these layers of, you know, hierarchy in our society, which I think is awesome. Mm. It's something that came up in the recent Wahoo Frontiers video of of you and the uh, and Colin and Pete doing your Lost Coast trip. Um, just the hours in the bike, kind of stripping away everything else. And even though you're kind of competitors, kind of friends, it's that it was a great equalizer. And was that kind of your first big training ride, shall we say, or block for for this year? Yeah. Um you know, that was, I guess, early March. And, you know, we have pretty severe winters here in Vermont. I mean, it's, yeah, almost May now and we're still having, you know, flurries of snow. Yeah. So I was, I was, you know, fairly un underprepared for that, you know, I was able to kind of hang, you know, hang with those boys and, and, and ride with them. Um, but, you know, it, it's funny. Cause I, you know, as I was saying, you know, I, I still have a sense to, you know, try and be competitive and I, and I see these, you know, especially Pete and Colin and, you know, they're, they've approached this as, you know, they're, they're training and going about this as, as professional athletes. And this is their, their one and only kind of focus in, 
I mean, they have other interests and whatnot, but you know, this is their, their livelihood very much depends on, on performing and, and gravel. Right. Um, and kind of my setup, you know, working full-time at, at Wahoo is, is very different. You know, my time is, is more constrained. I also live in, I don't live in Texas and California where we have, you know, 12 mm-hmm. months a year to ride a bike. So um, yeah, sometimes I'm definitely jealous of those boys for being able to just have so much free time and warm weather to go out mm-hmm. and ride. Um, but again, it kind of goes back to what I was saying with kind of where I'm at in, in my career and, you know, ambitions. It's, you know, it's being a bit more balanced, you know, individual. And, you know, I, I, I do admire those two for what they're doing and so many other athletes who are, you know, you know, really going after this as a, um, you know, a full profession, but uh, yeah, I would still love to, you know, love to give them a run for their money mm-hmm. and show that you don't have to, you don't have to live and breathe the, the gravel world to, to still be competitive. Well, I, yeah. I mentioned that because Northern California is close to my heart and I just really enjoyed that video. So if anyone's listening and, and wants to, to day, daydream a little bit for endless gravel roads and, and beautiful scenery next to the coast and through Redwoods, go and check out that video. Yeah, it was a, it was an awesome trip. And I'd, I'd actually been in that area before, but never, you know, just because the you know freedom of a gravel bike compared to a road bike, you know, we were on roads that, you know, I didn't know were there. And it was, you know, Pete did an awesome job with kind of scouting out the course and, you know, really showing us where, you know, where he wanted to go. And um, yeah. And the, and the video crew did an awesome job of, of capturing yeah. it. I think there's probably something like seven hours of film that we had right. from that trip and okay. cut down to a 12 minute video. Yeah. So, you know, I'd love to maybe see more of that footage oh, come out because it was just yeah. uh, it was a stunning, a stunning trip. And, and the contrast of weather as well, you know, we had, we did have snow, we had rain, and then, you know, we got to the coast and it was just sunny and, and warm. And, you know, that's uh, you know, it made it all the more, you know, valuable to feel that sunshine after riding through the rain and cold. Yeah. And then coming from a, a probably, I assume, fairly snowy Vermont as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, you know, Pete was, you know, cold to the bone and Colin, you know, hates snow living in Texas. So <laughs> I didn't find it all that cold, but um, I was just more disappointed that I was in California and it was snowing. <laughs> and it was, yeah. You were in the wrong end of California, I'm afraid. I know. Yeah. Let's move on to talk about the migration gravel race because this is what has, let's say, brought us together. How did you first come across it, and and what attracted you to it? Yeah, so as I mentioned, you know, I I work at at Wahoo, and um, my so Matt Porter, my colleague, had had been communicating with them about the race and about the Imani Foundation, and so you know, obviously, there's been a you know a large conversation around you know kind of inclusivity and diversity in in cycling. So Matt you know, kind of realized that, hey, this is an awesome opportunity for us to give some opportunities to to African riders. So before, you know, I was even considering going to the event, um, Wahoo and Matt decided, hey, let's let's take the top three riders from the Imani Foundation of the race and bring them to the US later later in the summer to do some right. races here in, in the US. Um, and then, you know, because I'm going to be heading to those events as well, um, it was kind of pitched to me like, hey, would you be interested in going to Kenya to, to race with these riders? And, you know, will you know, do some, you know, storytelling around, you know, kind of their experience, you know, I guess me going there to their culture and then obviously them coming to the U S and racing yeah. here in the States. Um, and so the opportunity was pitched to me and yeah, I didn't have to think about it. I said, gravel race in Kenya. I'm, I'm in, um, you know, I, I've always wanted to, to travel more to, to Africa. I've only been to South Africa once. Uh, I did a training camp with Chris Froome down in crystal Springs in 2016. Right. Um, and I loved it. 
surprisingly from, I mean, he, you know, he grew up in Kenya and spent time in South Africa. So he, he's fairly adventurous and comfortable, you know, in, in that just region of the world. So, you know, we, uh, we did have some like a crappy rental van and, uh, yeah, we went, we went four wheeling one day and got stuck right. and had some people push us out and he was like catching scorpions and, um, oh, wow. yeah, surprisingly for a, a rider who was getting ready for his, I think it was fourth tour de France victory at the time. Like Chris, you shouldn't be trying to pick up scorpions, but, um, anyways, he did. That's, you know, that's his, that's his in the kind of childhood you yeah. know, memories come from there. So he, you know, he's kind of brought back to a simpler time of his life. Like I said, I just love riding in, in new areas. And it seems like the event as, you know, for myself personally is an awesome opportunity to go, you know, see somewhere new and race in a completely different environment than I've ever been in. Yeah. But I think just the the mission around the event and bringing, making cycling, you know, truly more global. You know, we talk about cycling being a global, a global sport, but, you know, I've raced in Asia and Europe and North America, which are, you know, countries that have, you know, a relatively strong history of, of cycling. A lot of these countries in Africa actually do have a, a long history of, of cycling. You look at, you know, Rwanda and I know Kenya and Eritrea, they have a strong cycling history, but it's a very hard pathway for athletes from there to kind of make it to, you know, whether they want to become professional road racers or, you know, maybe now gravel riding, you know, and like I said, I, I'm, I've had a very fortunate kind of, you know, life as a cyclist. And you know, if I'm in any way possible to, you know, help kind of give back to, to the next generation of, of cyclists and especially a, a more international community and a more diverse community, you know, I'm, I'm more than happy to, you know, kind of share my knowledge and, and experience with, with these up and coming athletes. Yeah, speaking of your your knowledge and experience, the gravel scene is fairly new to you, but I think you've probably got some some useful tips coming from uh, from the pro peloton. As this is the first time this event has been run, it's going to be an unknown for for everyone taking part. So, what are your expectations for the race, and and what would be your tips for others taking part to bear in mind in their preparations? You know, I I think that the my biggest tip would just be like be ready for anything. And, you know, we're going to, anytime you have a first year event, you know, things happen, things go wrong, but to embrace that for what it is. And, mm. you know, that you're in a way you're, you know, you're kind of pioneering something, something new and different. And, you know, I think a lot of people have had these very high expectations of what events are now, you know, they're very curated and, you know, smooth running and, you know, you're staying in a nice hotel and, you know, I love kind of the, the more rough and tumble type, you know, activities in life, you know, whether it's camping, bikepacking, because this is, is a race, you know, that will potentially favor people who, you know, are more adaptable. And I think that, mm. you know, that'd probably be my biggest piece of advice is, you know, don't be afraid to, you know, step out of your comfort zone and experience something different because it's oftentimes experiences like that, that, you know, you remember the most when yeah. you don't really remember when it's a, you know, sunny, perfect golden day and everything goes smoothly and you have no flat tires and you feel great. You know, you remember those, those, you know, tough times. And those are what make us, you know, kind of better, better humans and and more, you know, resilient. Yeah. Yeah. So you've already mentioned about um, Team Armani um, and their initiative behind this uh, regarding to putting a spotlight in cycling and cyclists in Africa and kind of based on the assumption that there is untapped potential there that historically has had not much opportunity to demonstrate its potential. And more broadly, certainly within the last year or so, particularly there's been there's been more talk about diversity and accessibility within within cycling um what's your perspective on on what could be done better within within cycling to to encourage more people to to get involved perhaps from from different backgrounds that aren't western european yeah well i mean you know 
one of the kind of the biggest unfortunate things in, in cycling is there is a high bar of entry. You know, when you just look at, you know, equipment does play a huge, a huge factor. When you look at, you know, running, it's relatively simple, you know, it's, yeah. you know, in even, even football, soccer, it's, you know, it's a pair of shoes, a ball, or, you know, for running, it's just a, a pair of shoes and shorts. And you're able to go a long way with, with very little, you know, kind of equipment or kind of financial investment in, in what you're doing. Um, but that said, you know, and we've, we've seen this recently in, in cycling and you know, we've seen, you know, obviously, you know, when we, if I talk about professional cycling, we've seen, you know, riders going faster and faster and, you know, more impressive, you know, athletes coming about. And I think a lot of that is, is due to like just an increased, you know, gene pool of cyclists and people getting involved in the sport. And, you know, when we look at marathon running, you know, the, the Africans tend to be, you know, the dominant people on, on the world circuit. And, yeah there's no reason that they won't be come cycling. It's just this huge level of, and kind of bar of entry to, you know, to get the equipment and, you know, I guess in cycling specifically just the, the tactics and, mm. you know, there's a lot to learn rather than just the, the physical side of the sport. Um, and yeah, I think that, you know, something like the Imani foundation that, you know, can kind of pull resources from, you know, different partners and sponsors and, and allow these athletes to have, you know, at least kind of mitigate some of the, the entry to the sport and allow the athletes to just do what they, what they, you know, want to do and what they're kind of, you know, passionate about is just, just riding and not having to worry about, you know, the equipment side of it and, you know, the travel side of it and those expenses. Yeah. And even, even racing, um, speaking to a number of the, the African participants, the fact that this is let's let's call it a private race it's not through anything uci or um local governing body organized it kind of cuts out that middleman and and some of the stories around um corruption and 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 money and funds and financing getting in the way of actually people being able to perform that's one of the things with with this race and i guess the wider gravel racing scene as well it's it's kind of its own thing um, and it, you don't have to go through all the, the hoops and the red tape and committees and whatnot to, to get involved with it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, I think that's, that's one of the other things I would kind of, you know, piece of advice is just that, you know, you don't have to have the best equipment to, no. to get started. And, you know, <clears throat> just here locally, you know, I, I grew up in Oregon, which has a huge cyclocross scene and I never, to be honest, liked cyclocross. I'd prefer to ride my bike than jump on and off a bike. But you see a sport like cyclocross and you see how accessible it is for so many people. You know, you start a, you know, you need a, a short track and people can show up on any bike they want to, whether it's a mountain bike, a cyclocross bike, you know, potentially even a road bike if it's, you know, the course is, you know, packed in enough. Yeah. Um, and just allowing people to kind of, you know, get involved without the equipment being such a big limiting factor at an early stage of your career. You know, when you look at, you know, if you start to get kids into time trials and, you know, some kid has a disc bike and, or disc, you know, disc wheel and aero helmet, and another kid just shows up on his mom's road bike, you know, he might feel discouraged or they might feel discouraged if they're, you know, just continually getting beaten by someone who just has better equipment. Um, so I, I don't know when you look at, you know, kind of the entry point of, of cycling, is it, is it worth, you know, we don't want to limit the, you know, the industry and kind of the progress of, you know, tech, but, you know, is there a sense of, you know, kind of making it more universally acceptable for, 
you know, maybe one bike for a certain category of racing. So people kind of have a, a level playing field because, you know, whether we like it or not, there is a degree of, you know, equipment playing a, a big factor, yeah. um, which is great at the highest level. But, you know, you think at the entry level, you know, people, people should fall in love with it because they love riding their bikes rather than, you know, being intimidated or worried about the equipment that they have. Yeah. And the more that we can demonstrate to people that um, you can take part and you could have a really good experience without feeling pressured to win, but or equally, if, if you have the potential and you have the, the drive and the motivation that the opportunity, you're not going to be blocked too much along the way to get there. One of the beautiful things about the migration gravel races, um, I spoke to two of the Ugandans because of the race and because of uh, what their club Masaka has been doing. They're getting the opportunity to ride on two brand new titanium gravel bikes for the race. They've just gone into a, a two month training camp with a coach, um, which I find pretty intimidating. Uh, <laughs> knowing that they're going to be working with, with him on that, but also one of the Amani initiative, one of the, the strands of the Amani initiative is about racing online with Zwift. Uh, and how that opens up a new pathway potentially into the sport for people. You're not you're not stuck by location, uh, and they've they're in the process of building a, a clubhouse where they can have uh, online racing. Um, and these guys, they are seriously ambitious. They were both like, "Well, my dream is to race in the Tour de France, and I, I'm going to do it." And you think, "Wow, the, these guys like farmers from Uganda who have who have some potential." Um, but they're, they're really motivated and determined and something like this could just really open that up, open up the opportunity for them. And it would be amazing to see, to see them, them really take that by with both hands or with both feet, shall we say both pedals and, uh, and see where they could get, because yeah, I'm sure that the potential is there to, to, to really, um, make a mark on the world stage. Yeah. Well, and that's, and that's, you know, truly awesome to hear. And, you know, when I look at, you know, kind of my own life, obviously I came from a very different background and, you know, had different opportunities, but, you know, just seeing and hearing the, the motivation of, you know, of young athletes to, to, I guess, to realize and capitalize on opportunities that are given, mm. you know, it's, you know, with this race and having the opportunity, you know, to race against myself. And I'm not sure you know, the whole host of other athletes that are going to be there, but I know, you know, Lawrence Tandam, but the opportunity for, for these African riders to compete with, you know, with us, but also to come to the U S and compete, you know, for them to, you know, that's, and that's still one of the craziest things in, in cycling, you know, in racing to me is that your whole life can change in the course of six hours. You know, yeah. you think about one race, you know, very few walks of life. Can you just happen? You know, you can, and obviously it's much more than six hours when you look at, you know, the training and just getting ready for the event and the sacrifices you make, but you know, that you have these very, specific windows of opportunity that can you know forever change the course of your life and that's still one of the things that i think keeps so many cyclists you know whether they're professional or you know recreational amateur it keeps them motivated that you know everyone on the start line has a chance to win and you know it just it still puzzles me that it's it's still so open you know you show up to a race and like anyone there can win you know, if they've put in the work, if they put in the, you know, the training and the sacrifices that, and I think that's so beautiful to me that, you know, it, it is possible for these, you know, riders who you're talking about can, you know, do this training for the next month and a half and they can show up there and they can be just better than everyone. And it can mm. change the course of their life for, 
you know, forever, but potentially then inspire, you know, a whole nother generation of, you know, of African writers to be like, wow, look what they did. And then, you know, that it just gets passed down through, you know, generation and generation and age group. And, you know, the, the information is, is then shared. And, you know, before you know it in five, 10 years time, you have this, this pathway and this network of, you know, talent that's been, that's been discovered that's now has, you know, easier pathways to, to make it to where they want to go. And I think that's what, you know, you've seen and, you know, happened, I guess, in the US, you know, probably back in the, in the 70s and 80s, when writers first started going to Europe, and, you know, those first trailblazers, you know, had a very hard time kind of, you know, integrating, and there's so many things that change, but slowly that pathway does develop. And, you know, it does take events like this, you know, the migration race to kind of put a goal out in front of them, put a carrot out in front of these, these athletes, but that can then just slowly evolve and, and progress. And, you know, it really does can lead into something that is at some point far bigger than, than this race, but it, you know, it all started here with the, with the migration race. Yeah. Well, you've, you've kind of already jumped the gun on what my, my last question to you would be, would, which was going to be uh, if, if we were having this conversation in a year's time or maybe five years time, what, what would be, we'd be talking about in terms of successes? And I think you're right in when we think about it, easier pathways for people to, to transition into the higher levels of the sport based on what they can achieve and what their ambition is. Yeah, no, I mean, and I, it is a great question. And I think that's definitely one of the, you know, successes we would like to see, um, you know, as well, you know, we, we talked about, you know, kind of racing and stuff, but more than just, you know, developing a pathway for riders to, you know, seek out a professional career, which is awesome. I love that. And, you know, that's kind of the path that I took. I would just also love to see more people on bikes in general, you know, whether that's, yeah. you know, I just see the the joy and the, you know, happiness and kind of, you know, wholesomeness that riding a bike brings to, to my life and the, just the connections I've made with people and the conversations I've had, you know, and the reality is that not everyone who wants to go to the Tour de France is going to go to the Tour de France. But I don't think that that should be a deterrent for people to stop riding their bike. You know, if, if, if some of these athletes, they have this dream and they want to go to the tour and they don't make it, you know, it really kind of saddens me when I see people just hang up their bike and they never ride it again Yeah. Um, to realize that, Hey, you know, I had this goal. I learned so much about myself and about, you know, the world through, through a bike, but, you know, to continue to kind of foster that, you know, that love and that passion for riding a bike. So I think that beyond just the racing side of it, the, you know, the ability to kind of bring a, a sport that does, I believe makes, you know, us better humans, you know, bring that to an area that, you know, isn't maybe a common sport to be practiced now. Um, and then that even trickles down to, you know, transporting by bike, just riding yeah. bikes, you know, whether it's casually, um, you know, I think there, there are so many layers to kind of bring in race into a new culture, which then ultimately kind of just, is a catalyst for more bikes. And I think that that is, you know, one thing that I would hope to see as well. Yeah. And when you, when you add into the fact that uh, not just cycling is a really good way of, of sharing within a community, you also add to the health benefits. And when we start talking about bigger issues around climate change and um, also empowering people, not just as a way of getting to the Tour de France, like you said, but just as a, a community tool, um, a, a way of experiencing the world in a different different way, or, or just just getting a little bit healthier. I think there's huge opportunities there, and that's that's how we're going to grow it. Not just as a sport, but but as a 
well, I guess a way of life you could call it. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, uh, yeah, the cycling way of life is, is one of the best ways of life there is. So yeah. Let's, yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, I was going to modify my last question to then be a bit more about if you and I were having this conversation in a year's time, what would be, what would we be talking about in terms of what 2020 has been for you? Um, you mean 2021? Sorry, 2021. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Let's not talk um, about 2020. Yeah. You know, I, I just hope that, you know, I guess one thing I would really like to do, especially the fact that, you know, we are bringing, you know, at, at, we're bringing the Samani foundation or hopefully bringing them to the U S you know, given everything is, is cleared. Yeah. Um, you know, just to be able to inspire these, these athletes and, and, and teach them and educate them. And, you know, that would be, that'd be hugely, you know, it would bring me a lot of pride to be able to, to help these athletes. And, you know, also just, there's a whole dimension of, of culture in these, you know, in this project, you know, you think, you know, I remember going back, you know, when I was racing, you know, going to race and I did tour Malaysia when you're tour Langkawi yeah. and just the way in which people race in different regions of the world is so different, you know, the, the tactics, the strategy, um, you know, so to be able to, you know, go to, to Kenya and just see how the races how the racing is, you know, and that's one thing I don't want to, you know, whether it's gravel racing, whether it's racing in, you know, other countries, I don't want to necessarily bring my thoughts of what racing should be to right. that arena, you know, and, and gravel racing, like I said, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a Ted King. I'm not a Colin Strickland. I'm not a Pete Stetton. I haven't been at these events. Yeah. You know, it's not me bringing my, you know, ideologies to what this should be. Um, it's very much learning. And I think maybe that's, maybe that is my goal for, for this year is to, is to really learn about, you know, before I make any sort of opinions on what I think gravel racing is or kind of adventure racing, um, just to be observant and, and to learn about what this is all about. And, you know, same with when it comes to, you know, working with the Imani foundation, like seeing where they're at, seeing what they, you know, what they're already doing really well, but then identifying like, all right, here's areas that they could maybe improve and get better. Um, and how I can be a part of that, that process at the moment. I don't really know. Cause I don't, I don't know the athletes or kind of what they're yeah. up to. Um, but just, you know, really taking almost a year of, of observing rather than trying to, you know, change too much. Um, and just being, yeah, being observant in, in everything that I'm doing on a bike. Yeah. I think that's a really, a really, well, I was going to say healthy, but, um, I don't know if that's the quiet road, but certainly, um, cycling hasn't been my career should we say like it's been yours mine has been more in the business world but the, the value and the power of just observing and and being open to learn um rather than jumping straight in and trying to fix things or change things uh, i think it's a really undervalued trait and approach and i think a lot of kudos to you for for taking that approach and i hope that 2021 is is full of learnings for you yeah well uh I appreciate it. Yeah, it's uh, we're definitely an instant gratification type culture. We want things yeah. to move quick, and I I do as well. And it's uh, sometimes takes me kind of slowing down. So yeah. I'm trying I'm trying to work on that. As you know, there's there's no substitute for hard work, and I no. think that I'm I, I am really looking forward to just seeing the the passion and the drive of you know these riders because I know this means so much to them yeah. to have this event come to you know come to their home ground and to race you know, riders that they've, you know, they've read about in magazines or seen on TV, they are, you know, and I was the same when I was a child, you know, all of a sudden I got to do a first, my first big race with, you know, the local pro. And I was just so, I pushed so hard to keep yeah. with them. 
And just to see that drive and passion is something that is so refreshing in this world. When you see just someone, you know, how much it means to them. And, you know, I, I still really admire that, that trait. Cause I, you know, I had it within yeah. myself, you know, when I was younger and just to see, yeah, to see people, you know, go above and beyond what's maybe physically, you know, what they're physically capable of just because it means so much, you know, they turn off all these switches in their head of, of pain and suffering because they just, they want to be there so bad. And I think that's, that's really beautiful. Yeah. Well, having met some of these guys, they're, they're really, really inspiring people. And uh, you're going to have a really, well, we're all going to have a really special time meeting them and getting to race with them. Uh, and so looking forward to that. I've already taken up more time than I asked of you. So I appreciate going a little bit longer and I think I will wrap it up now. So Ian, thank you very much for talking to me. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah. Thank you so much, Peter. That was my conversation with Ian. A massive thanks to him for giving up his time and sharing some of his story. I really look forward to hopefully meeting him face to face in June. In the meantime, if you want to go and find out more about what he's up to, go and find him over on Instagram. He also has a podcast. I mean, who doesn't these days? Breakfast with Boz, presented by Wahoo. And I'll be back soon with another episode of Meet the Migration Gravel Racers. And until then, keep chasing. <laughs>